On this special edition of For the Love of Reading, we are happy to present A Christmas Carol, being a ghost story for Christmas by Mr. Charles Dickens, read for you by R. Bobby, Lindy Peters, Nicole Phillips, and Linda Pack. The place, London, England. The time, Christmas 1843. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole friend and sole mourner. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge was. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. A secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. But permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was a cold, bleak, biting, foggy weather. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who in a dismal little cell beyond was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. Wherefore, the clock tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, not being a man of a very strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. It was Scrooge's nephew, Fred. Bah, humbug. Christmas a humbug? Uncle, you don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Oh, come then. What right have you to be dismal? Bah. You're rich enough. Bah, humbug. Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this merry Christmas? What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? <laughs> if I had my will, every idiot who goes about with merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart he should. Uncle! Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. But... You don't keep it. Let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you, much good it has ever done you. I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of, in the long calendar of the year, when men and women seem to open their shut-up hearts freely. And therefore, Uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good, and so I say, God bless it. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Oh, don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. No. Why? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. The one thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. We've never had a quarrel to which I have been a party, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. <laughs> so, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. His nephew left the room without an angry word, but he stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clock, who returned them cordially. Uh, thank you, sir. And the same to you, I'm sure. There's my clerk, Bob Cratchit, with 15 shillings a week and a wife and family, talking about a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Mr Cratchit, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. 
They stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the Union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, I wish I could say they were not. Oh, I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Uh, A few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We choose this time because it is a time, of all others, when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And many would rather die. If they would rather die, then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentlemen withdrew. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. Cratchit, you'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. If I was to stop you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. I promise I will, sir. And Scrooge walked out with a growl. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened. The cold became intense. At the corner of the court, some labourers had lighted a great fire in a brazier, round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered. One boy regaled him with a Christmas carol. God bless you, Mary, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Ah, humbug! The singer fled in terror. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and, having read all the newspapers, went home to bed. He lived in a gloomy suite of rooms. Now, there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door except that it was very large. Scrooge had seen it night and morning, but now Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker... (gasps) Marley's face. Marley's face. It had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. He put his hand upon the key, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. Bah! Up the stairs, Scrooge went, not caring a button for its being very dark. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. He closed his bedroom door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, which was not his custom. He put on his slippers and sat down before the fire. As he threw back his head in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a disused bell that hung in the room. It was with a strange, inexplicable dread that as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. Soon it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. They were succeeded by a clanking noise down deep below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain. And then he heard the noise much louder, coming up and straight towards his door... It came on through the heavy door. Marley's ghost! 
The chain the ghost drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, and deeds. Uh, how now? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. <laughs> you don't believe in me? I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because uh, a little thing affects them, a slight disorder of the stomach. <laughs> you may be an undigested bit of beef, uh, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> There's more of gravy than of grave about you. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! <laughs> <laughs> Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I, I do, I must, but why do spirits walk the earth and it why do they come to me? It is of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, you, you are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? <laughs> it was as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. Jacob, speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. And weary journeys lie before me. Oh, oh, oh. No space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet, such was I. Oh, such was I. But, but, but you were always a good man of business, business, Jacob. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. At this time of the roaring year, oh, I suffer most. Hear me! My time is nearly gone. I will, but don't be hard upon me, Jacob. Pray. I am here tonight to warn you. You have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. Oh, you were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. <sighs> is uh, that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I, uh, I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Look to see me no more. The apparition walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little so that when the spectre reached it, it was wide open. The spectre floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window and looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Scrooge closed the window. And being much in need of repose, went straight to bed and fell asleep upon the instant. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside and Scrooge found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet like an old man. Its hair was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. 
It wore the tunic of purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt. But the strangest thing was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light by which all this was visible. Uh, you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. What business has brought you here? Your welfare. Scrooge could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. I, I am mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand on your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The darkness and the mist had vanished. It was a cold, clear winter day with snow upon the ground. Uh, good heaven, uh, I was bred in this place. Uh, I was a boy here. You recollect the way? <laughs> Remember it. I, I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road. Scrooge recognising every gate and post and tree. Some shaggy ponies were now seen trotting toward them, with boys upon their backs in great spirits who called to other boys in country gigs and carts. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. The travellers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew every one. Why was he rejoiced to see them? Why did his heart leap up as they went past? They soon approached a large house, one of broken fortunes. The walls were damp and mossy, the windows broken, gates decayed. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. They went to a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire. And Scrooge sat down and wept to see his poor, forgotten self as he used to be. <laughs> poor boy. I wish... Uh, but it's too late now. What is the matter? Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, there was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I, I should like to have... Given him something, that's all? Hmm. Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger, and there he was, alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened... And a girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms about his neck, kissing him. Dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home, dear brother, to bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan? Yes, home, for good and all, home for ever and ever. Father is ever so much kinder than he used to be, that home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you are never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all Christmas long and have the merriest time in the world. She <laughs> clapped her hands and laughed and began to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door, and he accompanied her. Always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered. But she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman, I, and had, I think, children. Uh, one child. True. Your nephew, Fred. Yes. They were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? I was apprenticed here. They went in. <laughs> at sight of an old gentleman sitting behind such a high desk... Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. <laughs> Yo there, Ebenezer. <laughs> Yo, my boy. 
No more work tonight. It's Christmas Eve. Christmas, Ebenezer. Hilly ho, clear away, my lad, and let's have lots of room here. <laughs> the floor was swept and watered. Fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. And in came all the young men and women employed in the business. Twenty couples at once, round and round in various stages of affectionate grouping. There were more dances, and there was cake, and there was a great piece of cold roast, and there were mince pies and plenty of beer. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, shaking hands with every person as he or she went out and wished him or her a Merry Christmas. During the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene and with his former self. He remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves praise? It isn't that, Spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter? Oh, uh, nothing particular. Something, I think. No, no, I uh, should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. Again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. His face had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye which showed the passion that had taken root. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl. It matters little. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion. Profit engrosses you. What then? Even if I've grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you. Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both young and poor and content to be so. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Have I ever sought release from our engagement? In words, no, never. In what then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If you were free today, would you choose a dowerless girl, you who weigh everything by profit? I release you with a full heart for the man you once were. She left him and they parted. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? <laughs> Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you, these were shadows of the things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. <laughs> he was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and further of being in his own bedroom. He sank into a heavy sleep. Sitting up in bed, he felt that he was restored to consciousness for the especial purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger. As he lay upon his bed, a blaze of ruddy light streamed upon it. 
he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. Ebenezer Scrooge, come forward. The room had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were hung with holly, mistletoe and ivy. Heaped up on the floor were turkeys, geese, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, plum puddings and seething bowls of punch with their delicious steam. Upon the couch there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn. Come in, come in and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. You've never seen the like of me before. Never. Uh, Spirit, conduct me where you will. If you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. The room and all its contents vanished instantly, and they stood in the city streets upon a snowy Christmas morning. They went on, invisible, into the suburbs of the town, and the ghost led him straight to Scrooge's clocks, the threshold of the door to Bob Cratchit's dwelling. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim? And Martha weren't as late last Christmas Day by half an hour. Here's Martha, mother. Oh, why bless your heart alive, my dear. How late you are. Well, never mind, so long as you are come. Sit you down before the fire, my dear, and ever warm, Lord bless you. No, no, there's father coming and Tiny Tim upon his back. Oh, the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim into the wash house that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. And how did little Tim behave? As good as go. Oh. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much. He thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and that it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. (laughs) Tiny Tim is growing strong and hearty. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor, and back came Tiny Tim. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner of the table. At last the dishes were set on, and grace was said... Amen. There never was such a goose. I don't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. It's tenderness and flavour and size. And cheapness. (laughs) Eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes. It was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Everyone had enough, and the youngest Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall in the backyard and stolen it while we were merry with the goose. Hello. A great deal of steam. The pudding is out of the copper. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, blazing in ignited brandy and with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Uh, wow, oh. wonderful pudding. Oh, oh, it's beautiful, Mother. <laughs> a Merry Christmas to all of us, my dears. Uh, God bless us. God, God bless us. God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his. He loved the child and dreaded that he might be taken from him. A spirit, uh, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner. Carefully preserved... If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no, oh, oh, no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. 
overcome, Scrooge cast his eyes upon the ground and then raised his head speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, I give you a toast for Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite my for dear, it. the children, it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, on which one drinks the elf of such an odious, stingy, odd, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you, poor my fellow. Dear, it'd be Christmas Day. <laughs> I'll drink his elf for your sake, and the day's not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and an Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. Mr. Scrooge. Scrooge. They were happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time. And when they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim until the last. It was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets. The brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens and parlours was wonderful. Here, the flickering of a blaze showed preparations for a cosy dinner. The ghost floated on, outpouring its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach until... Scrooge <laughs> <laughs> recognized this laugh as his own nephew's and found himself in a bright, gleaming room with the spirit standing smiling by his side, looking at that same nephew with approving affability. There is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Scrooge's niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he. <laughs> and their assembled friends, not being a bit behindhand, lured out rust lustily. Being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at, so that what they laughed at, any rate, was what they laughed at, Fred encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live. He lived it <laughs> More shame for him, Fred. Oh, he's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell him so. What of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good with it. He don't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking, ha, 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 that he's ever going to benefit us with it. <laughs> I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I, I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He don't lose much of a dinner. Oh, indeed, I think he loses a very good dinner. <laughs> a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is. He wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge! <laughs> Uncle Scrooge! <laughs> the whole scene passed off in the breath of the last word spoken by his nephew, and Scrooge and the spirit were once again upon their travels. Much they saw, and far they went. The spirits stood beside sick beds, and they were cheerful. In hospital and jail, in misery's every refuge, he left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. Uh, forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw, for the flesh there is upon it. Look here. From the foldings of its robe, the ghost brought two children. Wretched, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of the garment. Oh, man, look here. Look. Look down here. They, they were a boy and a girl. Yellow, meagre, ragged, scowling, wolfish. 
No perversion of humanity has monsters half so horrible and dread. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's. This boy is ignorance. This girl is hunger. Beware them both. But most of all, beware this boy. For on his brow I see that written, Which is doom. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. He lifted up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for the very air through which this spirit moved seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. Scrooge felt that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. Uh... I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You were about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Ghost of the future... I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But but as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. They scarcely seem to enter the city... But there they were, in the heart of it, amongst the merchants. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. No, I I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. (laughs) God knows. (laughs) What has he done with his money? Hmm? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Hasn't left it to me, that's (laughs) all I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, for upon my life, I don't know of anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, but... I must be fed. (laughs) (laughs) They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before. Although he recognized its situation and its bad repute, the ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the whole quarter reeked with crime, filth and misery. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed shop where iron, old rags, bottles and bones were bought. Sitting in amongst the wares he dealt in was a grey-haired rascal who smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop and she was closely followed by a man in faded black. <laughs> and only the charwoman be the first And let the undertaker's man be second oh, Stop till I shut the door of the shop <laughs> uh, Come into the parlour mm. hey, hey, what have you got to sell? What have you got to sell? Well, for minutes, patience, Joe And you shall see Every person has a right to take care of themselves Are you That's true indeed. No man more so. (laughs) Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. (laughs) No, indeed. (laughs) It's the truest word that was ever spoke. It's a judgment on 
name. Oh, wish it was a little heavier, judgment. Uh, open that bundle, old Joe. Let me know the value of it. Uh, first, let me produce my plunder. It's not extensive. A seal. Oh, no, two. A pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch. Mm, well, that's your account. I wouldn't give it another sixpence. Oh, yeah. uh, now, on to my bundle, Joe. Hey, <laughs> what do you call this? Bed curtains? <laughs> Bed curtains. <laughs> you don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with him lying there? Yes, I do. Why not? <laughs> you were born to make your fortune and you certainly do it. Don't drop oil on the blankets now. Here's blankets. Well, who else is, do you think? <laughs> he isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. Oh, oh, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it nor a threadbare place. It's a bestie head and a fine one too. <laughs> They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call wasting of it? Putting it on him to be buried in, to be sure. <laughs> Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself. Uh, this is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> Spirit, I see, I see, the case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. The scene had changed, and now he almost touched a bed, a bare, uncurtained bed, on which, beneath a ragged sheet, there lay a something covered up, the body of this man. Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me. Let us go. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment like a wing, and withdrawing it, conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. Quiet. Very quiet. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing Tiny Tim's shroud. Peter had a book before him. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. The colour of this spread hurts my eyes. Oh, they're better now again. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. Must be near his time. Past it, rather. But, but I think he has walked a little slower than he used uh, these last few evenings, Mother. I have known him walk with... I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I, often. And so have I. But he was so very light to carry. And his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. Ah. Oh. And there is your father at the door. Oh, father, don't be grieved. My dears, what a wonderful industry and speed you've shown. You'll be done long before Sunday. Sunday? You saw his resting place today, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I, I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little child, my, my little child. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, what man that was with the covered face whom we saw lying dead? The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him to a dismal, wretched, ruinous churchyard. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Before I draw nearer to that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they shadows of the things that may be only? 
Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if persevered in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name. Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? No. Spirit! Oh, no, no, spirit! Hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been. Why show me this if I am past all hope? (laughs) Good spirit, assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present and the future. Oh, Tell me, I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Holding his hands in a lost prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. (gasps) Yes, And the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Oh, best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. Heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I am here. The shadows of the things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. Oh, oh, there's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. Oh, there's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. Oh, there's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all true. It all happened. <laughs> I don't know what day of the month it is. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) I'm quite a baby. Oh, never mind. Oh, I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. (laughs) Golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. Oh, you, boy, uh, what's today? I... What's today, my fine fellow? Today? What today's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Well, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Uh, hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Uh, do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. I am an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. <laughs> uh, do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? The one as big as me? Oh, what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. Oh, it's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Walker. No, no, I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Yes, sir. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. <laughs> he shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. <laughs> he dressed himself in all his best and at last got out into the streets. He watched the people and patted children on the head and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk that anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. Is the master at home, my dear? Oh, yes, sir. Do you think I could speak with him? Just a minute. Mr. Fred, sir, there's someone to see you. Who is it? Fred... Why, bless my soul! It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Uncle! Dear Uncle, come in. You haven't met. Um, Uncle? 
This is my beautiful wife, Lucy. My dear, will you ever forgive a very foolish and very silly old man? Oh, dear uncle. Dear Uncle Ebenezer. Wonderful party. <laughs> Wonderful games. <laughs> Wonderful unanimity. Wonderful <laughs> happiness. <laughs> but Scrooge was early at the office the next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late... A full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. <laughs> Hello. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? Uh, I'm very sorry, sir. I, I, I am behind my time. You are. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, if you please. <clears throat> it's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. <laughs> and therefore... <laughs> and therefore... I'm about to raise your salary. What? A Merry Sir. Christmas, Bob. A merrier Christmas, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavour to assist your struggling family. And we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him. But he let them laugh. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. May that be truly said of all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed... God bless us, everyone! You have just heard Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, especially adapted for radio by R. Bobby, Michael Duchamp, and Linda Pack, and read for you by R. Bobby, Lindy Peters, Nicole Phillips, and Linda Pack. This production was designed and directed by Linda Pack and recorded by Alicia Bales at the KZYX studio in Philo. The sound was mixed by Peter Temple at Peter Temple Studio in Albion. This program is archived and available for online listening at kzyx.org, along with all the shows aired on For the Love of Reading. KZYX For the Love of Reading is a production of listener-supported community radio, KZYX and Z, public broadcasting from Mendocino County, California. On our website, kzyx.org, you will find links to all our podcasts, including KZYX Mendocino County Remembered, Oral Histories Read for You by Linda Pack. You can also stream live programming and show your support by clicking the red Donate button. This is Linda Pack. Thanks for listening.